hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? От ныне русские земля единый быть. My name's Ali, and this is the Russophiles Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with some kind of Russian connection. Uh, basically, it's an excuse for me to hang out with uh, friends old and new and yak on and on about uh, some films. So, as always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, doing all right, doing all right. Good. Um, so, Patrick, uh, could you... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So um, f- we are obviously mates uh, from way back from school. Um, and uh, likewise, same as yourself, bit of a film nerd. So, you know, wanted to appear on the podcast, obviously. And I think the fact it's a Russian podcast, Russian films, interesting angle. Um, always had a bit of a fascination with, with kind of Russia. And I guess that probably... I don't know where it really stems from. I think I used to like looking at maps a lot and I would see, you'd sort of see, you know, your typical map of the world, Russia, just absolutely enormous landmass, yeah. obviously. And just kind of looking at it and thinking, how can, you know, how can you have a country that big? Like, do people live all over it or in all parts of it? And obviously later learning, you know, about kind of the way that, a bit more about Russia and its history and obviously the fact that there's more kind of people in the West and, You've got Siberia and the Far East, these sort of mysterious lands. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, always had kind of a... It's always been an intriguing place, I suppose. Um, haven't been, not yet, but uh, supposed to be going to the World Cup. Oh, which, super. Yeah. You've not told me about that. No, no. So um, we were thinking um, probably Moscow, St. Petersburg, and uh, interestingly enough for this podcast, uh, Volgograd. Oh yes, so the big the big three. Yes, so, um, which I guess brings us neatly on yes. to uh, the topic of, uh, of today's podcast. We're going to be watching the two thousand and thirteen Russian film called Stalingrad. So, if you're a, a history fan, you'll, you'll know that Volgograd is just the latest of a number of different names that it's had. Before it was Stalingrad, it was uh, Saritsyn, I think. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so that's what we're going to be watching today. Um, what can you tell me about Stalingrad? <laughs> <laughs> wow, where to start? Well, yeah, I, well, I studied uh, history at, at uni. Um, not actually, um, didn't not didn't actually cover the Eastern Front, World War Two, but I guess just through kind of uh, wider reading on the subject, picked up a fair bit. Obviously, seen as 
I suppose the turning point uh, in the Second World War, one of the big turning points, 1942, uh, along with El Alamein, I guess, in the, in North Africa. Yeah. But they really, obviously, if you know anything about the Eastern Front, there's there's not really any comparison in terms of scale of, of what was going on between the Russians and the Germans on the Eastern Front versus, in comparison, relatively small sideshow in North Africa and other theatres. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, it was... Uh, well, where <laughs> we could go on, we could go on a long time. I'm not really sure where to start, but um, but yes, obviously it's seen as a, a a bit of a disaster, a debacle for the German army. Obviously, the Russian winter, brutal, brutal kind of street fighting and and guerrilla warfare. I guess um, stories of Russian tanks being constructed in factories that were you know, a couple of blocks away from the fighting and then rolling out of the factory and driving straight, literally straight into battle. So all these kind of legends and, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, stories you hear about that battle, but I guess covered, not covered that much in kind of Western popular culture. If we're talking about films and, and books, I can, I can think of a, a small handful, but I guess considering the... Um, the scale of it and, and its importance in history, it seems to be kind of a bit overlooked. I think that's definitely a fair point. But just before we, we started this recording, we did, when we decided on the film, we did mention uh, that you've seen Enemy, Enemy at the Gates. Yes. So, um, yeah, I guess when, when did Enemy at the Gates come out? What was it? Probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. Um, yeah, there or thereabouts. Yeah, so... It was a reasonably kind of uh, big film, I think, when it was at the time of release. I guess it was in the wake of stuff like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers when there was that, that wave of kind of films and TV around World War II and, and a bit more perhaps gritty and realistic in terms of its portrayal of kind of warfare, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad, Enemy at the Gates. It's got, um, it's one of those films where if, if anyone, uh, if anyone listening, uh, is familiar with the work of, uh, James Horner, who is the composer on oh, Enemy okay. at the Gates, it's one of these ones. He, he, he had a really bad reputation for reusing and basically ripping off his own work mm. again and again. Um, across different films, so if you listen to the the soundtrack in Enemy of the Gates, it's it's very various. There's stuff in there from Aliens. There's stuff in there from Star Trek, from Willow, loads of other films that he scored basically. And he just sort of and you, you start to notice actually. I remember I'd be like sort of sitting in the cinema or watching a film at home, and I'd hear like little bits. I'm like, yeah, that's got to be James Horner doing that that score again. But um, hang on a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard this before. But, I mean, there's definitely a distinction to be made between, you know, someone having a signature style like, I mean, John Williams is the obvious one, or, you know, Hans Zimmer, and then just what you're saying sounds like slightly different, like he's literally going... Oh, this is, this is just literally taking it from one film to the next, these, like, little motifs and, you know, like... Yeah, I mean... It's he had a reputation for it, but don't get me wrong. I think I think he was actually a really good film composer. But yeah, I mean, he he was quite good at creating an atmosphere, I guess. But yeah, anyway, that's by the by. But in terms of Enemy at the Gates as a film, um, Ed Harris is very good in it as the, the sort of sniper, and it's obviously about this this duel between between these two snipers, one Russian, one German. Um, the, the sort of the young the young Russian sniper played by Jude Law. But yeah, I mean, I guess because it focuses on that that duel between the two of them, um, you don't perhaps get a sense of the wider kind of battle itself 
and maybe it's it's significance in terms of the bigger picture in terms of what was going on in the war at the time so if that is the biggest i suppose film piece of popular culture to cover stalingrad in the west then we're probably not really getting the whole picture so yeah it'd be interesting to see today how how this this kind of recent russian version looks at it perhaps from a different angle and 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 i'm guessing maybe on a bigger scale as well i don't know we'll see yeah i mean i've seen both uh both films but it's it's a while since i've seen either so it's it's kind of hard to comment and that's definitely something i'll try and bring up in in part two um it's it's one of those it's a name it's a name that's sort of known but Mm. yeah people don't necessarily know the the details certainly when i think about history i'm also uh, a big big history fan in terms of my uh, personal history with with patrick we were in an a-level history class uh, together so uh Mm. Uh, both distracting each other from actually learning anything, mm. I suspect. Mm. But uh, but yeah, when I think about all the places in history that I would want to be, uh, and all the places I definitely wouldn't want to be, <laughs> it wouldn't be high up the list of uh, yeah yeah places you'd want to be. It's kind of Stalingrad mm. and maybe somewhere on the Western Front in in World War One. In terms of just, I would rather not sheer be there. apocalyptic awfulness yeah. I would imagine yeah yeah or, or you know maybe the sort of black death yeah. medieval Europe it's, <laughs> it's sort up of, there with that it's yeah. in that like top 10 really wouldn't want to be someone yeah. living through this this is going to be a fun podcast it's going to be super 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 cheery <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yes it is start with the happy stuff and it, then indeed we'll, we'll move on. It, yeah. indeed yeah well we've done a few comedies in this series, and, you know people have there are their... Russian comedies That's the, Russian it, film yeah. comedies Russians okay. laugh yeah, 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 right, I've, right, I've, okay, I've yeah. been there I can attest to the fact that you know in spite of like western stereotypes yeah. it's not all that is not funny <laughs> Ivan Drago kind of uh, yeah. Soviet Ironman type <laughs> personalities. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I believe yeah. that. So, one thing I wanted to wanted to ask you about was uh, about your film studies A level. So, when we were doing mm. A level history, you were doing that, and of course, me being uh, a self absorbed teenager back then, I'm not sure if I ever asked you what films you watched for your film studies. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it would have been a relatively new course at the time. Um, so, and it felt like a relatively easy one to pick as well. Um, so yeah, it kind of made sense on that front, but I think we, we did a range of stuff. We, we did some foreign language films. Uh, we did a very, very strange Czech film, uh, about a tree that comes to life and starts eating people, uh, Sweet. called Little Otic. Yeah. Really, really weird one, that one. Um, we did, um, some British, British films. We did train spotting, even kind of American teen films. Clueless was on the, on the syllabus. Oh, I'm really pleased to hear that. That was, cause that's, that's probably one of my favorite films. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, and I think I was quite dismissive of it before watching it, but actually, <laughs> actually, uh, yeah. actually studying it and, you know, kind of understanding a bit about the way it was constructed and everything. And, and when you start breaking it down, it is, yeah, it's a very clever film. Um, and, uh, yeah, very rewatchable. 
what else do we do? I think I did. I remember doing um, a kind of an essay uh, on um, Gladiator and on that that opening scene in Gladiator. One of my one, probably one of my favourite scenes of of any film, really. Um, so just yeah, just remind. So that that's the kind of the, the battle uh, that uh, Russell Crowe and the Romans have with the barbarians. I uh, thought that was the one we were talking about, and when yes. they have all of that sort of uh, fortification kind of built. Yes, you know, um, amazing scene, like visually stunning, and I think, um, you know, I think it was one of those those kind of films where you could you started to see certain techniques coming in. So I know that Russell, uh, that uh, Ridley Scott, the director, had used some of the techniques they'd used in Saving Private Ryan. So they, I think they would use a technique whereby they'd sort of cut frames out of the shot. So yeah. it would give a slightly almost kind of jerky effect uh, to the to the yeah. uh-huh. to the footage. Um and when they used that in Saving Private Ryan, it was to try and call back to World War Two era footage that mm-hmm. was, you know, mm-hmm. captured from the battlefields. Um so there's all sorts of things like that. And you know, you know, just just visually that seems amazing. They filmed it in I think it was Epping Forest, and they literally destroyed um an entire part of the forest that the Forestry Commission uh, needed to be cleared sure. for whatever reason and uh, they just said to Ridley Scott yeah if you want to um, fire a load of catapults and flaming arrows uh, into this part of the forest by all means by all means go for it <laughs> yeah and uh, unleash hell and um, yeah oh, my signal yeah exactly um, that I mean that that seems amazing because it's got you know as well as the visuals, you've got Hans Zimmer's score that kind of just builds throughout the whole kind of scene. You've got the the Germanic barbarian tribesmen who are just oh, like yeah, chanting stuff. Really and, big guy coming out, yes. and he's like the sort of champion guy, <laughs> the Conan yeah. sort of uh, uh, <laughs> chieftain at the the front. Yeah, and another sort of interesting bit of trivia on that scene. Um, you can sort of hear the the barbarians sort of chanting in the backgrounds as as the Romans are kind of getting ready for battle and and really Scott actually used the the exact same audio track of the Zulu warriors in Zulu doing their war chants uh, and just literally put it over the top so you really? can you can almost hear them kind of shouting like Zulu in the middle if you listen very very closely so he just took took the exact same audio from it and just reused it but it kind of works really well it just yeah that scene just builds and builds and builds to that to that sort of opening battle um, so yeah, did, did a whole essay on that, and, uh, and see yeah. the problem is you're making me want to rewatch yeah. that instead <laughs> of watching that. the well, film. It, it was on TV, TV about two nights ago, so yeah, it's still kind of fresh in my mind at the gotcha. moment. But um, so yeah, but film studies. Um, I, I, I'm guessing it's probably quite a common A level subject now. People probably you know a lot more people probably doing film at uni and 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 you know going on to film schools and stuff like that. But at the time, it felt quite kind of fresh and new, and uh, and yeah, I guess it just it just kind of added to the uh, the level of geekery and uh, nerdiness uh, yeah. around around films that was already building at the time. As if there wasn't enough, mm. uh, yeah, to begin with. I was going to ask also: Do you feel like it changed the way that you that you watched films in a big way that sort of continues to now? Because we're now talking mm. about like half your lifetime ago and yes. half my lifetime yes. ago as well. Yeah. Um, interesting question. I, I think. Possibly the, there was some. I mean, you know, this is this is A level. It's not it's not film school. Um, sure, but sure, there sure. there are certain techniques and things that I suppose you, uh, I might 
perhaps been more conscious of now. Um, Maison Sen, that, that always sticks with me. That I can never expression. remember what that means. Can you just oh, explain God. that? Uh, yeah, well, now you, now you put, put, me, put me on the spot. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the sort of construction of a scene. It, it's the minutiae of what's going on in the background and how that kind of relates to conveying a mood, all that kind of... Gotcha. Does that seem about right? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones that I always read it. You know, I look it up every so often because I, I can't remember what that means. Hmm. And... Yeah, that sounds similar, but it's it's a bit slippery, which is probably why you just have this set term. It's mm, mm. sort of a bit of a catch-all. I think there was there was part of the the, the syllabus was looking at auteurs as well, and yeah. kind of you know how certain filmmakers have a particular style, whether that's visually or um, thematically, you know, and and, um, and you can see that through their body of work, and, and perhaps. I pay a bit more attention now to certain directors who you start to notice kind of patterns and and um, and, and themes and, and the same styles appearing across their body of work in a way that I might not have done otherwise. But you know, ultimately, I think you know, I, I still go and see crappy blockbusters, <laughs> you know, as much as the next person. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I discovered a, a few kind of filmmakers, I suppose, around that time. People like who would be more, you know, considered to be auteurs if there are any left in Hollywood. Mm. So um, people like Terence Malick, who was a sure. um, kind of one of the, the, the directors who I was kind of starting to become aware of around that time. And, and you know, someone who's a real artist almost, you know, and, and, and a bit of an outsider within that Hollywood would system. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was a good course. And, um, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's helped uh, kind of grow my love for film ever since. Oh, that's cool. I mean, speaking speaking of of, of auteurs um, or people who might be considered as such. Oh, it's auteurs, is it? Not not auteurs. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you're probably right. You're I'm, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say you're right. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan. Some people talk about him as being mm. one. And to wrap it round back to sort of World War Two films, have you seen Dunkirk yet? Yeah, you know, I haven't seen it yet. To my shame. Um, yeah, see it at the cinema know, if you can. Did you? Yeah, you, you didn't see it IMAX though, did you? You just no, just no, no, cinema. just regular yeah. cinema. No, um, I'd like to see it. I've heard it sort of. It's got this kind of suspense, and and again, Hans Zimmer, isn't it? Doing it with the soundtrack, it, it is, kind of builds all yeah, the way. Going back to composers, and, yeah, it kind of yeah. builds all the way through the film. So, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see it. Is it? Is it good? It's really, really good for for. Just having seen quite a few war films at this point, it's relatively it sounds pretentious, but it's relatively singular in terms of what it's trying to do. Although it does remind me, in terms of its relative uniqueness, quite of um, Andrei Tarkovsky's um, Ivan's Childhood. It is very different, mm. but the one thing that's similar is, if memory serves anyway, it's a while since I've seen Ivan's Childhood, is that it's really focusing on on one side. Like, you don't see all that much uh, of the yes. Germans. They're kind of like a threat in the distance for the most part. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, really good. It's really, really claustrophobic. And yeah, it just really makes you feel the helplessness of the situation that you yeah. yeah must imagine that people felt yeah it's clo- it's claustrophobic despite being set in these quite wide this sort of wide open beach yes which is a quite a 
thing to create. To, yeah, an atmosphere to have created. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. No, I do want to see it. Uh, there's a, a very good scene in, uh, I think it's Atonement, um, where it was a quite a famous kind of tracking shot uh, of the Dunkirk beaches yeah. and the, the camera kind of pans, must be sort of close to like six or seven minutes long where it just pans through the sort of chaos of the beach. And I think I, I heard that Christopher Nolan was quite kind of influenced by that when he was, you know, after yeah. seeing that to, to, to want to, to, to go on and, and, and build on that for Dunkirk. So no, I'd like to see it. Yeah. So in terms of the film we're, we're watching today, it'll be interesting to see because it's Stalingrad and it's close quarters street fighting, mm. whether this does a good job of, of capturing that sense kind of, of atmosphere. Claustroph- yeah, mm. claustrophobia. Mm. Cool. So we're going to launch into the film and I'm going to do what I do to all of my guests. I'm going to uh, make you say some Russian and the bit of Russian I'm going to <laughs> make you say is Payekhali. <laughs> okay. Well, go for it now. Yep. But I'll, I'll explain with, with what my... it is. Okay, with my hammiest uh, Russian pronunciation as well. Exactly, exactly. So, Payekhali is what Yuri Gagarin said when he was blasting uh, into orbit. Mm. Uh, Well, he hadn't quite... He was blasting off, becoming the first man in in space. Meaning? Meaning, off we go. So it's a little little bit prosaic, but in terms of the Russian language, it's something you say all the time, but because of when he said it, it's it's similarly iconic to one small step for yes. man, okay. but it's less of a nice like one. set piece, I guess, than that mm. is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, without further ado, Payakhali. 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 just watched Fyodor Bondarchuk's Stalingrad and I don't know Patrick if uh, if you've seen the uh, the, the uh, I kind of want to get this out of the way straight away the Monty Python Hilter sketch I, I haven't no no okay so it's it's one basically yeah it's one basically where somehow all of the Nazis have survived the war and they're in like late 60s early 70s minehead and they're sort of <laughs> masterminding the overthrow of, of, of the country and so they're at this they're staying at this like B and B and the proprietor sort of comes over and sees them looking all at all these maps and she goes, Ooh, Stalingrad, you won't have much fun in Stalingrad <laughs> uh, to which John Cleese goes, No, not much fun in Stalingrad <laughs> And that's, you know, or being very flippant. It's mm. kind of how I feel about this film mm. so far. Mm. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to get that out of the way um, because, you know, obviously it's a fairly serious subject. Yes. <laughs> well, that's And that's that's the, the trouble, isn't it? I think we were kind of saying uh, earlier, um, it's, it's difficult to talk about. Sometimes these kind of films can be a little bit overblown and there can be certain scenes, we'll come on to it later, I'm sure, but where you... you Almost wanted to laugh, maybe, but actually, when you think about the subject matter, it's really not very long ago. We're talking what 
70, 80 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, there's still within people's living memory. So yeah, yeah. it's it's a bit yeah. of a weird, weird, weird one, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but before we get into like the that discussion, um, could you give us a quick sort of rundown of what happens? Okay, so essentially the film uh, begins. Uh, there's a, a, a little kind of prologue where um, some Russian um, kind of rescuers, I guess, are flying out to uh, Japan. There's been a tsunami, and there's some uh, some German people who are trapped underneath a collapsed building. Uh, and uh, one of the rescuers is speaking to one of the people who's trapped under the building uh, and he's speaking to them in German, even though he's a Russian. Conveniently. Yeah. Uh, and then we sort of, the, the Russian um, the rescuer sort of mentions that that he had five fathers and, and the, the German person who's rescuing says, how, how can someone have five fathers? And then we sort of cut back to uh, Stalingrad, 1942. A group of Russian soldiers are crossing the Volga River or preparing to cross or preparing to cross from the eastern side to the western side where the the, the city of Stalingrad sits um and and the story follows uh, the, this kind of group of, of five soldiers so they you know they, they obviously have other kind of comrades who are with them along the way and who uh don't survive um, but this sort of core group uh, stays through most of the film and we see them sort of street fighting against the Germans and, and moving through the city uh, and eventually sort of arriving around a sort of a, what looks like the town square, kind yeah. of cent- central area, city centre, um, which is, you know, sort of part of it is controlled by the Germans and, and part of it by the Russians. And there's sort of this standoff in the centre of the city um, and, and kind of, I guess, a, a no man's land between the two forces. And, and yeah, the rest of the, the action kind of un- unfolds from there, really. Um, pretty brutal stuff in parts. Oh, I would, not an easy yeah. watch. <laughs> no, no, as you know, as you uh, as you'd expect. Yeah. So essentially, they're they're kind of trying to hold out a, a bridgehead in in the city, and uh, and they also it's it's a former apartment building with you know one surviving resident um, who's like a, an eighteen year old girl, and they take her under under their wing and so a lot of the rest of the film is them trying to defend this building but also they're forming this relationship with her and she's kind of like the glue that Mm. binds the group together and then conversely you've got it also touches on this the story of a german soldier who is I don't know whether he's having an affair or if it's uh, a little bit less consensual than an affair. It's it, possibly at first. Yeah, <laughs> it is <laughs> um, with with a Russian woman uh, who is sort of be seen by uh, her countrymen as kind of a collaborator, isn't she? She's, yeah, she's not particularly uh, well treated uh, by either side, to be honest. Um, so you've, yeah, you've got these two groups. You've got the, the the five Russian soldiers and and Katya, this this woman who's this Russian girl who's been caught up in the fighting and whose apartment is the sort of the center of the action and then you've you've got the the german officer and uh is it is it masha the, that's right the, yeah the, yeah, the yeah. russian short girl for, short for maria yeah mm. so so just to pick up on on the the sort of overblownness that's something i definitely definitely mm. definitely felt and and i i felt like almost rushing to the end here but overall the film kind of won me over by the end but there was a lot towards the beginning when I was kind of rolling my eyes a bit, yes. which felt really 
awkward and awful because you know this is a depiction of something that happened in real life, so you don't want to feel like you're treating... No, 100%. I know exactly what you mean. And I think, yeah, the word overblown did come to my mind as well at a few points whilst I was watching it. I mean, you know, the budget for this was clearly pretty high. It's got good production values. It doesn't look shoddy. It's obviously, it's not a Hollywood production, um, but certainly in terms of budget, it looks like it could be visually. um, It's impressive. Um, You know, they've obviously built some some kind of real sets and, and you know, there's a lot of CGI in there, but it's, it's pretty good quality. Um, like you, I, I guess where, the, where you were saying about it being overblown, what I noticed, a lot of the kind of the action sequences, um, they, they've got this really kind of irritating slow-mo effect. Yeah. Almost, um, and Carrie, who was watching it with us, Ali's wife, she said it's almost like, uh, it looks like a video game in parts. Yeah, that was definitely that was definitely the thing for me that made it in the realms of like this slightly eye rolly thing. And I don't know whether that's just snobbery on my part, but I kind of feel like I know, especially with war films when it's about real wars, the historical wars, I kind of don't like that mm. stuff. Um, I mean, if it's something that's a, a fictitious. Mm. scenario it doesn't bother me so much almost seems a bit inappropriate doesn't it oh yeah Yeah. exactly inappropriate is the word yeah it sort of it feels like it's trivializing and it's kind of like um a friend of mine when talking about the matrix obviously this is going back a few years uh, called it cool violence (laughs) which Mm. yeah definitely suffers from some some cool violence like there's one point where somebody you pointed out like a soldier stabs one of the one of the German guys and sort of twists the knife as it goes mm, in in a very kind of stylized like, kind of way. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you said like, why does he need to do that? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, it just looks more badass because he's a Nazi. Let, let's, yeah, mate, well, that's he why deserves it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, and yes, I, I agree with that completely. And I think it, it, there were visually parts of it that you can see that the mostly negative influence of this film cropping up again and again in action films now but at 300 mm. um so the so that i think thinking back i think that was one of the first films where you started to see the the, the where action sequences would s- suddenly be slowed down yeah. um to to you know kind of very very moving through the frames very slowly as some sort of like ludicrous kind of stabbing or uh decapitation is yeah. occurring and and those kind of things do crop up in this film and and given the subject matter it does seem a little bit silly and almost actually it takes away slightly from the the brutality and the the, the visceral nature of those scenes because it it's just so stylized and and, and video gamey yeah right. yeah absolutely i mean and there are there are some things which kind of pull you back and you kind of think wow that's an interesting decision like you have towards the end uh, the Russian soldiers are pretending to be uh, pretending to be dead, and one guy like basically cuts one of the the corpses that they're hiding amongst and and covers himself with with some blood to make it more like he's he's dead. And I'm kind of going, see that that comes across as like that's something that somebody might have done and is mm-hmm. a bit more a bit more real in terms of like the slightly stupid things. Um, there's this one bit quite early on where you this this woman is collared by by the Germans and they say, you're a Jew, aren't you? And she's like, no, no. Um, But they obviously ignore this. And then they essentially put her in the back of like a trailer or 
some kind of it almost looks like a caravan mm. um but and then they proceed to to burn her alive um and this is just in plain sight of of the housing mm. block and of and of course, understandably, the Russian soldiers get really, really angry, and then they come sort of charging out of the building, and somehow they manage to overcome the Germans, despite you know essentially running into machine traps. Yeah. And a few of them die, but basically they they see them off, and you just kind of go, uh, that just doesn't ring. It mm. rings true that they would have been really, really angry and want to go and kill them, but at the same time they wouldn't. It would have been too great a risk, and they wouldn't have sold their lives that that cheap. No, no, it, 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 yeah, that that did seem slightly unrealistic. That scene. It was interesting as well that the we mentioned um, enemy at the gates. Yes, the town square. My memory of enemy at the gates, it, it, it looked like a very similar sort of set. Um, so you had. It, it must presumably be taken from pictures of, of Stalingrad from the forties, but there's there's sort of this very iconic statue kind of in the middle of the square of of some children holding hands and, and kind of dancing, and I remembered that from Enemy at the Gates, and, and you sort of see it again here. Um, so pre- presumably both of them are, are fairly accurate and mm. have, have actually used kind of you know it, it, it visually it's probably pretty historically accurate, mm. and as I say, certainly it looked like it had some money behind it as a production. Yeah, um, just just talking about that um, that particular scene that I was mentioning, where where the the Jewish woman uh, is is burnt alive. That that reminded me of an incident from uh, Vasily Grossman's uh, Life and Fate, and I I think whoever wrote the script must have uh, they certainly would have read Life and Fate, mm. uh, just because there's a few incidents that are quite similar and, mm. and Vasily Grossman as well as being a, a, a novelist who's I think he was originally uh, a journalist and he you know traveled around with the Red Army during the war so um, it might be just a coincidence and they just read similar stories or you know mm. heard similar similar accounts but uh, there's something very similar in in that I haven't haven't actually read the original book but the BBC did a, a fantastic radio adaptation of it mm. uh, uh, not that long ago, I guess it's three or four years, so probably not far from when this when this came out. And the scenario is very similar: someone's going to be burnt alive, but instead of you know going out all guns blazing, the uh, the, the Russians they either call in an artillery strike or they you know launch mortars at right. the, at the Germans themselves, but they don't you know run out and essentially <laughs> Rambo style. Yes, mm. exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, now we talked quite a bit about the the more negative side, or or you know things that weren't done so well. Um, what did you like about this film, if anything? Mm. I think um, you know visually. I said it before. It, it's strong on that front. Um, you know the way that the sets are dressed. It, the city looks suitably apocalyptic and decrepit. It, it you know it really feels like a war zone. Um, the characters, hmm. I mean, some of them were fairly one-dimensional, and you know, there's—I wouldn't say there's a huge kind of character arc for for many of them. Um, I'd say some of the more interesting ones are probably Katya, the the uh, Russian girl whose apartment is is caught up in the middle of of this chaos. Um, she uh, she's the way she's kind of she's treated by the the Russian soldiers. You know, again, I'm not sure how 
true that that rings to history you know if if you were a woman caught up in a war zone like this um i'd imagine it would be absolutely terrifying um mm. and it you know they're, they're very sort of honorable and chivalrous around her a few sort of comments are made early on but but generally they're sort of very respectful of her yeah. and and really kind of look after her and that that i guess that kind of relationship that they have with her um is is the only sort of warmth and, and humanity to to be found in this this film really amongst all this sort of death and destruction um and there's a, you know there's a really nice scene i thought um uh, where they they have a birthday party to celebrate i think it's her 19th birthday 18th yeah. birthday um and and it's it, that did seem like a sort of a genuinely quite a well shot scene and and you know they sort of bake a cake for her and um you know kind of sing songs and stuff so so that that was a a a, a rare moment of of kind of warmth when you you did sort of get a sense that these were possibly three dimensional human beings rather than just uh kind of soldiers shouting let's kill these bastards in one <laughs> one particular scene the scene you reference where they they sort of run out into the square and, and slaughter the, the the german soldiers so so yeah it, it, it had a few moments like that, that 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 were a bit more kind of human but uh but otherwise it it was it was a bit of a slog wasn't it in parts yeah i mean again it's it, it's difficult to fault uh, and I don't think this is what you're doing. Fault of a film about no, Star for, for being a slog, you know. It, it's not going to be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, really, is it? Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you come if you come away from a film about Stalingrad going, "Wow, wasn't that a lark?" Then it's probably not really very true job properly. But yeah, sort of pedantry aside, yeah, I, I like that scene as well. Although I can definitely see people taking against it as well. Just. I think there were quite a few times where the music really, really irritated me. It was just a bit maudlin and sentimental and just they were using too much of it. Mm. Um, I mean, you you know a lot more about Russian cinema than I do, Ali, but I, I suppose my stereotypical Westerner view is that that type of sort of orchestral almost kind of ambient it's sort of very quite an ambient because it's in a lot of scenes as yeah. a sort of um i i get i get the sense that that's quite common in russian cinema um in a way that perhaps it isn't in, in kind of western hollywood productions uh, or not anymore maybe anyway but i might be wrong hmm. yeah i don't i don't know i mean certainly i haven't seen a ton of russian war films part of the reason for doing the podcast is to is to watch more russian <laughs> russian films but um, one thing that's really good about Andrei Tarkovsky's uh, Ivan's Childhood, which I think I referred to in the intro, is there's very little ambient music. And that's generally a thing I've noticed with his his films. He, he mm. does use a bit, but it's it's quite sparing. Whereas this, it kind of almost any time, it was kind of sticking it on with a trowel a bit mm, um, mm. we're supposed to be talking about the positive stuff and i'm just slagging <laughs> the film off what, again what, what did you think of the the portrayal of the 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 germans uh in particular the the german officer uh khan was it captain khan yeah Lieutenant yeah khan, khan. Mm. yeah we only really get two german characters that have any time spent on them which is um yeah captain khan and then his I think it's a colonel uh, above him. I, I didn't catch his his surname, but the the rest are just kind of they're just cannon fodder infantry guys, really, who almost say nothing. <laughs> um, and there's a there is a differentiation. I don't know that you'd say mm. they're really fully fleshed characters, but the colonel is like a proper 
full-on Nazi, and he mm. talks about kind of cleansing the area and just... Mm. Scum and filth, how he refers to the Russians. It's... Yeah, mm. yeah, and um, there are bits where the captain, Captain Khan, does kind of parrot that sort of thing. Like, he's when he's talking to Marsha, he's kind of like, oh, you, you know, you Russians, you're barbarians, and, like, what have you done to me? Mm. But there's something about just the tone of voice and the expressions where you don't know that he's... You don't know whether he actually really believes what he's what he's saying. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit already, but that relationship is, is super uncomfortable because, yeah, initially, like you said, it's quite non-consensual. You think she's kind of just going along with it because, you know, she's not really got any mm. choice but you, you do seem like towards the end there's a bit more of a um you know mutual respect between the two of them yeah mm. or at least affection maybe mm. yeah um and you know spoiler alert um but uh, things do not well and end well for anyone but but uh, <laughs> but masha is is picked off by one of our russian guys in the apartment building uh, she she basically comes out to say to Captain Khan, don't don't go, come back. And that gives the Russian sniper his his chance. And mm. and he basically shoots her and and he's seen her about a few times and he has um yeah, just basically nothing but contempt for her. Mm. Um it's interesting the differentiation sort of going back to the Russian characters. I know we're kind of flip-flopping all over the place but there seems to be there is some differentiation about how they how they all feel about the war and how they feel about the enemy which was quite interesting that was i was to be honest with you i was struggling to distinguish between a a couple of them at Mm. different points Uh, yeah i mean you've obviously got the one of the russian soldiers is a sniper and and he uh, he sort of his attitude seemed to be perhaps the most kind of aggressively anti-german um he has his reasons. You get a bit of backstory about uh, from the narrator about about why that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, you know, and yeah, th- there's an attempt made to kind of flesh out some of their characters and backstories. Um, given the number of soldiers that it's it's trying to sort of cover in what the two and a half hour two hour film, um, you, you don't get a, a great deal. Um, we learn that one of the soldiers was a was a tenor. Uh, an opera tenor before uh, the war and um, during the birthday party scene he sort of he he sings uh, for Katya Um, at the same time I mean I mean I don't really I didn't really think that there was a huge amount of of differentiation between them if I'm being perfectly honest but uh, but obviously when you're sort of watching something in, with subtitles, uh, as I was, and obviously not being able to understand it in, in the Russian, um, it, your eyes sort of always, you know, kind of drawn drawn to those subtitles, and you're not perhaps not paying as much attention as you would to the, the characters and, and, and putting the words to the characters, if that makes sense on screen. But I totally understand where, you, where you're coming from. Yeah, it, I, I mean, I I found that I was somewhat reliant on the subtitles as as well um certainly when you have lots of faster fast dialogue but um i thought there was one particularly interesting bit where katya has this sniper guy i think his name is chivanov teach her how to use the sniper rifle and it ends up with her killing uh, this german soldier 
as he's essentially filling up his uh, uh, his uh, I was going to say watering can, but um, <laughs> canteen. canteen. Mm. There we go. Yeah, watering can. There's not really much time for sort of, uh, <laughs> light gardening. Yeah, light gardening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So that causes a bit of a a, a falling out between Chivanov and the is it Gromov? Yeah, mm. who is the the leader of the uh, of of this group of Russian soldiers, and he says essentially. You know, don't shoot them when they're going going for water. You know, that's um, it, it's sort of a know. code of honor, isn't? It? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still being adhered to by at least a few of the the soldiers, even though it's an appalling situation and very very brutal kind of fighting. Yeah, although that's kind of interesting coming from him because Gromov. Quite early on, you have um, this uh, Russian sailor who's kind of mixed in with the group. And when Gromov is detailing what they're going to be doing, this sailor guy says, well, you guys can all do that. I'm going to go off and find my unit. You can't tell me what to do. And Gromov uh, orders, uh, I think it's Nikiforov, the uh, Sasha, the the, um, uh, the singer, uh, to shoot him, which he does. And it's, mm. it's quite cold-blooded. In some ways, you kind of see that the, the sailor was being totally insubordinate. Uh, but it's, it he doesn't kind of really like, hesitate, does he? No, it's like bang, you're dead. <laughs> and and one of the one of the other Russians, uh, he's the guy, he's the, sort of the older guy of the group, says, you know, why do you do that? Mm. So there's kind of differentiation. And I, although that was brutal, I I thought it was it was good that they were acknowledging that life as a Soviet soldier could be quite brutal not just in terms of the the fighting but yes, also from your own side yeah the the sort of quote unquote military discipline and certainly you know when you read or listen to histories of how things were done at that point that seemed quite true to life and for a russian film to you to know, depict that yeah mm. being less than fully honorable was was you know quite refreshing although it's difficult to know how the whether the filmmakers are saying you know this is good he deserved it or or whether this is just this is just something that happened um similarly with masha getting shot it's you're not quite sure how yes how sympathetic the audience presumably a russian audience primarily is meant meant to to feel towards her yeah 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 i i similarly was wondering that how i mean clearly Clearly, there is some sympathy for her, um, and I think a kind of an acknowledgement that people were collaborators for reason, not just because they were terrible human beings, but yeah. you know, occasionally in these kind of circumstances, you know, you can kind of understand why people, in some cases, did collaborate. Um, so yeah, like you, I, I wasn't quite sure how we were meant to feel. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe you could sort of take it either way. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to take you up on the on the use of the word, word collaborate, because it's not like she's helping the Germans militarily, as far as I can recall. It's essentially she's just not rejecting. She's not resisting. Yeah, mm. or or not not very much, which is just you know you kind of think self preservation really. She's not portrayed as being. You know, an out-and-out traitor in the sense of of helping the Germans in kind of accomplishing their military goals, but mm. and the definition 
back back then of what counted as being a traitor was pretty much anything that Stalin sort of wanted it to be. I feel like at this point we should uh, we should bring in a little bit of um, we've both listened to a, a a podcast series by Dan Carlin. It's part of his broader like hardcore history series called Ghosts of the Ostfront, which goes into the sort of World War Two in in this sort of eastern eastern theatre and it's it, it's been really interesting watching a film having having uh, heard mm. some of those those stories you know kind of comparing and contrasting with you know that background um actually talking about Nikiforov the opera singer that reminds me of an incident that's talked about um in Ghosts of the Offs Front where they're talking about this one opera singer who was with a Russian unit and apparently the 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 Germans who were near who were nearby liked to hear him perform as well, and at one point they they actually uh, uh, they were close enough that they were able to throw a harmonica, and then later on when this uh, singer would normally have performed, he he was he was absent. Uh, the the Germans supposedly sent over a message saying, "What did you do with your singer?" Because apparently he'd got he got a sore throat. So it was, it was kind of interesting. Mm. I don't know whether that was specifically meant to be referencing that particular guy. But possibly it was mm. interesting that something like that was 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 worked in. Quite possibly, yeah, yeah. And Ghost of the Offs Front. I mean, um, that is a podcast that really gives you a sense of the, the scale of uh, the conflict on the Eastern Front. You know, there's 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 a figure in in that uh, podcast that really sticks out to me. And the, the presenter, Dan Carlin, says that eight out of ten German soldiers that died in the Second World War died on the Eastern Front. And when you think about all the sort of great battles in North Africa and Italy, you know, in Normandy and all the way through kind of Western Europe uh, after D-Day as the Allies were, were moving through Northwest Europe, that statistic is just gobsmacking. I mean, you know, 80% of their casualties were, were in the East. And you, you realise the... I suppose it, what it makes you realise is the Russians refer to the Second World War as the Great Patriotic War. And it's... The the casualties that they suffered, I think, what was it, twenty million? It was. Yeah, I mean, it, the estimates. No one knows. Just no, and that that's probably know, possibly at the lower end of the estimates. Um, but you know, when when you sort of compare it to the the, the casualties, which which are pretty well known for um, for the UK, I think, the, or British Empire, British forces was was I think around three hundred thousand people. Yeah. Um, still, obviously, a huge amount, a huge loss of life. But there really is kind of no comparison. So. When you consider all that, and in the context of this film, this is obviously a Russian production. Um, this mean, you know, this event, Stalingrad, the Battle of Stalingrad, and and the Eastern Front and the war in the East uh, more broadly, just clearly means a great deal to the Russian people in a way that possibly quite difficult for us to understand. Uh, perhaps just seeing it as merely another battle, albeit an important one and a big one. Yeah, and and it, it is interesting because you know, as as British people, I mean, it's not like we think about World War Two all the time, but it is quite a defining mark in in our history. I think one of the things with recent you know political events in in this country is that we do tend to think of ourselves, or we can, as a bit like we. We resisted the Germans at the point where everybody else gave in to mm. them. It's kind of like, well, yeah, we also had a moat. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, certainly it's it's really good to be seeing 
a film that that does depict things from the Russian side. It's just a shame it isn't uh, a bit more satisfactory, I guess. Mm. Um, Do you know how the the film was was received in Russia? Uh, no, actually. Mm. <laughs> so okay. that's, that's a bit of a dead end. We can we can uh, we can Google it after. Yeah, so we you can definitely Wikipedia. check. But <laughs> I I think I did read that it was like the highest grossing Russian film to date at that point. But I don't right. know whether that's specifically in Russia or worldwide mm. or 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 quite what. Um, but yeah, um, I I've been very down on the film, but I think it's still. I don't know. I think I'm glad I rewatched it. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly well made. It's whether or not the the, the characterizations are uh, are a little bit thin. I think, as we've discussed, um, you if, could say that's quite a common thing with war. <laughs> tricky movies, with, with war films to yeah. You know, it's the the, the action sequences were. were fairly kind of uh drawn out in some cases and i think you know you possibly could have had a bit more time to to flesh out some of the some of the characters and their their motivations a little bit more clearly um yeah i mean i i think just going back to another of the of the film's problems is that the the framing device was a little bit weird and and i felt that quite often when you had the narration coming back in that it would have been better just letting the camera focus on what's actually happening on screen rather than going, well, and then something else, detail, detail, backstory, backstory. And it's kind of like, on the one hand, it is kind of useful to get these characters' backstory, but it might have been better to find some way of working that into the into the interaction of yes. the characters. Because it just takes takes you out of it and... I think that was one of the things that I found unsatisfactory about it is it as I didn't again it's partly the problem of watching it at home you know <laughs> rather than seeing something at a cinema yeah. it isn't it isn't going to be as immersive as immersive no so maybe I'm being unfair in kind of comparing this to Dunkirk which I saw at the cinema but but that sort of really sort of sucked you in whereas this kept doing little things to to take you out I, yeah on that point I, I don't think they'd really done enough in terms in, in the prologue sequence where we 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 don't even really meet the narrator he he's uh he's perhaps in the prologue for five minutes or less yeah, we see his back we see his back we don't see his face um and then when his narration comes back in uh as once the clock's wound back to 1942 I think initially I wasn't entirely sure that it was meant to be the guy that we'd just seen at the beginning of the film. It was, Hmm. I I don't think they'd done enough uh, to sort of earn the audience's uh, comprehension there around who was actually narrating. Obviously you sort of, you know, twigged a little bit later on in the film, but we've got this prologue sequence and then, then at, at the very end, we return back to the scene of this tsunami in Japan um, and I think I expected there to be, you know, a, I, I don't know, a five kind of 10 minute kind of epilogue to, to kind of wrap things up um, where we we learn a little bit more about the, the narrator and, and perhaps get a bit more interaction between our narrator and the, 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 the German survivors who are stuck under this this building that he's trying to rescue them from. But but it sort of wraps up very, very quickly at the end. I, I wonder yeah. if more, it was almost left feeling, I wonder if more footage was shot for that and, and, and perhaps just cut out for whatever reason. But but the, 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 the usefulness of that as a framing device, I thought was a bit dubious because it, we don't really return 
for very long at the end of the film yeah. to to that scene. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and especially now as the that disaster in Japan that is depicted. I think it's the Fukushima one. It's meant possibly to be. meant to be, yeah, yeah. Or a reference to it. Yeah, that just as that sort of dims in the distance, it just it's another kind of thing that distances you from it. It's kind of like, well, this is supposed to be about Stalingrad. Why are you bringing this in? Mm. I guess what I took from it is that is well, at the end they give a speech about how essentially uh, the world does not know war because of what our fathers. You sacrificed know, which you know to be fair yeah i think it, i think it is it is good that the the soviet and the russian part in in world war 2 is being acknowledged a bit more but it but it's just a bit tacked on at the end and very mm. bit ham-fisted it, yes yeah it feels a bit like rah rah rammed down your throat yeah kind of, mm. yeah yeah not not very subtle but then i guess you know do you, do you think there was the the fact that the the, the russian uh rescuer is is ironically i guess rescuing uh germans trapped in a building and obviously the 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 sequences earlier in the film are a group of, of russians trapped essentially trapped in a building do you do you think there was any sense of trying to sort of say well now isn't it great that we kind of we all get along now and that that uh, there's been uh i guess a improvement of relations obviously between russia and germany and that the germans are kind of human beings as well did you did you think that was the the point that to try and make there or i think so i mean it's certainly no accident that the that the mm. That it's not just some random nationality mm. that he's rescuing. Yeah, um, I think that is sort of supposed to be the point. But again, I just could have done without the whole <laughs> framing device at all. I mean, in some ways, you don't need to know that Katya is this guy's mother. Um, yeah, like, I just feel like I'm being I'm being totally negative about this about this this film. But it does make me want to listen to. Um, <laughs> better yeah, accounts of yeah definitely but, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think there was a, ni- a, a really nice little detail right at the beginning and I mean just as the intro narration has stopped and you're just seeing these these uh, Russian troops about to cross the river and, and, and attack the other bank you see this really old guy he's probably like 60 I think mm. um, talking to probably like a fifteen-year-old kid, and I really liked how it's showing that the Soviets were kind of having to throw everyone in. Yes, you know, it's the level of desperation is, you know, it's not like eighteen to sort of forty or forty-five-year-old guys. It's it's basically if you're a man, you're going to the front. Yeah, you're given a rifle and sent to the front. Yeah, yeah, and that that scene um, we mentioned, enemy at the gates, obviously a, a kind of a Western production of the Battle yeah. of Stalingrad, and that scene is is quite similar um, to a depiction of of the river crossing um, by uh, Soviet soldiers in Enemy at the Gates. And from that film, Enemy at the Gates, there's there's what immediately follows is a scene where. Um, Jude Law and uh, the rest of the Russian soldiers are being handed rifles, oh, and yeah, it's yeah. it's one rifle per two men, uh, with I think one bullet as well. Yeah. Um, and f- from what I've sort of subsequently read and heard, that's obviously that's a bit of a, an urban legend. It, mm. it, the, the Russians, whilst they were 
occasionally, I think, poorly equipped in, in the early, the very early stages um, of the war and, and after the German invasion. It, it, it was certainly nowhere near that bad. By 1942. By 1942. But I think the, the, you know, it's obviously a, a slightly extreme way of showing that um, from a kind of resources and, and equipment perspective, they were, um, you know, kind of struggling a bit. And as you say, th- having to throw kind of every man in almost with kind of human wave attacks yeah. um, as a way of kind of defending the city. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to, to compare those two scenes because the Russian soldiers here uh, are depicted as being sort of much better equipped, uh, I would say. Um, yeah. And it, it's whilst it's it's pretty desperate, it's not as the the perhaps kind of uh, the 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 over the top depiction of 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 what we see in Enemy at the Gates. Yeah, but what I do remember it's it's a long time since I saw Enemy at the Gates, but that isn't kind of marred by the sort of the cool violence problem to the same degree. If the the fighting, I think, feels a bit more a, a bit more realistic. Agreed. Yeah, or at least. Maybe not realistic. I've never been, in a, <laughs> you know, in an urban fire. Thank, thank goodness. You've been paintballing. Yeah, <laughs> not quite the same. But it doesn't have the whole sort of slow mo nonsense because right after that river crossing scene, but it's probably the most ridiculous thing that that happens is you have all of these Soviet soldiers basically on fire and continuing to run towards the the German troops and like maybe you might have had in real life somebody being on fire and continuing to run for a bit, but they managed to cover an awful lot of a ground while still on fire and still shooting. Mm. And I guess it's supposed to say, kind of, look how brave these guys were. They were, you know... And it's like, yeah, I think you just need to find a slightly subtler way of showing that people were brave and, you know... Yeah, I, I feel like the, I'm probably nitpicking. No, there, there were a few, a few scenes that sort of seemed to stretch credibility a little bit, like the that scene that you described with the, the soldiers on fire. There's there's another one where um, the Russians fire uh, an artillery gun um, around a corner, essentially. So they fire the gun at a tank and the shell bounces off the side of the tank and goes around the corner from ricocheting to hit this German position. There's another scene where... A Russian soldier uses a metal bathtub uh, as a sort of shield um, as he's kind of going out across no man's land. And, and you know, just going back to, to Dan Carlin's podcast, uh, it goes to the Os front. When, when I was watching those scenes, I was reminded of some of the, the more interesting anecdotes from that podcast. And, and it did make me wonder, actually, whether whilst they seem slightly ludicrous and, and unbelievable that I wonder if they're, they're so um, they're so ridiculous almost they are actually referencing things that that did happen yeah. or, or or were reported from the battle because um, there's 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 certainly a lot of kind of crazy anecdotes in that in that podcast yeah so I guess we could sum up by saying <laughs> don't necessarily watch this film but do definitely check out that podcast <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I would also say if you can get hold of the the BBC adaptation of Life and Faith, or read the book. I mean, I haven't read it my, myself. It's it's not all about World War Two and all about Stalingrad, but it features prominently and it is really, really well done. So that's uh, definitely worth yeah looking out for. So I guess that wraps up the the discussion of uh, of this film. Uh, thanks, Patrick, very much for coming along. And, Thank you for having me. And that's all for today. Dasvidaniya, folks.
So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Mr. Johnson pointed that out, eh? You wouldn't have had much fun in Stalingrad, would you? <laughs> I said, you wouldn't have had much fun in Stalingrad, would you? Not much fun in Stalingrad, no.